All right, welcome everybody to another edition of Legal Tech Week. It is January 27th, 2023, and this is the show where we talk about the latest developments in legal tech and legal innovation. I am Bob Ambrogi. I have the blog Law Sites and the podcast Law Next and the Legal Tech Directory Law Next. Uh, and uh, we've uh, some of our usual panelists are here this week. Some aren't, but we have a special guest panelist. So uh, I'll let him introduce himself first. Greg, uh, say hello. Sure. I'm Greg Lambert. I'm the Chief Knowledge Services Officer at uh, Jackson Walker. And Bob was making fun that I showed up branded with the uh, with the firm logo. Um, and then on the side, I also run the Three Geeks in a Law blog, as well as the Geek and Review podcast alongside with uh, Marlon Gaybauer. And uh, uh, some of our uh, some of our usual suspects uh, here this week, Stephanie Wilkins, you want to say hello? Yes, if I can unmute myself. Hi, I'm Stephanie Wilkins. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Legal Tech News at ALM. And uh, Victor. Hi, everyone. Victor Lee, Assistant Managing Editor with the ABA Journal, focusing on business of law and technology. And last but not least, Steve. Hey, Steve Embry. I write the blog Tech Law Crossroads about legal innovation technology, and I'm also the current chair of the Law Practice Division of the ABA. So it's been an interesting week <laughs> uh, in a lot of ways. There's been a lot of interesting stuff that's happened this week, uh, and we'll try to get to uh, we'll try to get to a lot of it. Uh, but uh, we, uh, I always like to give uh, first up privilege to uh, our guests, and we have a guest panelist. Uh, and 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 Greg, you've, you've done a few interesting things this week yourself. So uh, you want to you want to tell us about that? Yeah. So I've been, uh, I guess, like the rest of the world have been playing around with the open AI tool uh, started off on the, with the chat. GPT. We have to pull Stephanie away from it just to get her on this. Yeah. Show. It's, yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's enough we it, can do. It's quite addictive. It's, I mean, it's, I wish that was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's the new Tetris. So yeah, you, just, you just can't. Um, but uh, I started a few weeks ago playing with the paid version uh, with the with the beta on the GPT 3.5. Um, and I say it's a it's a paid version, which means you have to give your credit card in order to to get access to it. Although I think they give you an eighteen dollar kind of play money uh, to to deal with it. But um uh, but it's really fairly inexpensive. About every search I do is is a penny or less, and so it's it's definitely worth the you know the money to invest and just just you know as the common advice is just give up one latte a week and you'll be able to pay for this with you know and, and save a million dollars by the time you retire. Um, you get what you but, pay for. Yeah, but as a as a law librarian, one of the things that we have to deal with is just tons of information that comes in and you know we have approximately you know if you're lucky you have about uh one librarian or researcher for per 50 attorneys but typically it's more like 75 to 150 attorneys uh and so you really your time is very valuable and we are asked to do a lot of uh, you know reading looking summarizing a number of things setting up alerts and so I, I thought the best thing to do would be to uh, take a look at some of the alerts that we set up and see if there's a better way to 
present those. And, uh, and, and unlike the conversation that we've heard that we've been caught up with on Twitter this week with asking it, you know, to go out and find and create a summary based on a, on a legal issue. Uh, what I've done is taken articles and some and had those articles summarized by the AI. So you might take a, you know, a one page or a, you know, five or 10 paragraph article, and it will come back with a one paragraph uh, summary. And it's really good at doing that and, and coming back with some of the highlights on that. And, and so I, I played around with that in order to determine ways that, you know, if we're doing a search on Jackson Walker in the news, instead of just giving them a link in the first paragraph or the keywords in, in context part of it, why not uh, use the AI to do a, do a summary of it and, and it have it make sense whether or not it's something that someone wants to read. And uh, and of course, uh, I couldn't just stop there. Uh, so we could do that on on our portal page and get out really good information, and allow attorneys to track uh, and or other legal professionals to to track the information that they want. But I thought, you know, I, I like listening to podcasts. So how about taking it to the next level and taking that summary and putting in into giving it an artificial voice and then uploading that into a a uh, podcast. So that's what I've been working with. I put a, a a blog post out on the 23rd talking about the steps that I took. Um, and it, it, it's not easy. I'm an old programmer from back in the day, but I had to learn a, a few new things in Python to automate the process. Um, but uh, I, I worked with it. I got to that. I got the, there's a program called Descript that will trans translate it from text to voice and then i use anchor which is free uh so basically except for the small amount that i'm paying for uh the gpt uh engine to summarize the article uh it's basically all free so i, I would say for each uh podcast i put out it's it's cost me less than 10 cents um, and it's probably taken me about five minutes to get it all set up because there are still some things that are um, that, that you have to do. But uh, um, it's it's you know been pretty good. I'm gonna I'm gonna put a link. Oops, no, that's, a link to your post. But yeah, no. and I, I'm gonna put a link to uh, the the podcast that I've been playing with. Um, I haven't been advertising it, but uh, uh, I've got I got one two. I think I have three days out of legal text summaries, and and I was teasing Bob. the The AI is pretty good, except it it refers to Bob as Bob and Ambrogi. Um, so I've got to upgrade the the audio on that in the in the voice. So, A lot of my friends do that too. May, I mean, maybe it's right, and Bob's been wrong the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is totally possible. <laughs> um, so does this mean Marlene's out of a job as your co-host? You just uh... Oh, no, but she she was sick this week, so I actually had to be solo uh, uh, with with our interview that's coming out next week. So um, but it's a good stand in in case one of us goes down. But but it's Sorry. it's actually really it's a I've just been having so much fun doing this. And and one of the things and I think, you know, a, a lot of people get tied up in the nuance of the of the AI tool about, well, it can't do this. It can't do this. And it's like, well, no, and it, it's not trained to do that. But what it is trained on is, and some of, you know, some of the things like 
it helped me a lot with setting up the programming. I could ask it for to write a Python script that it did X, Y, and Z. And it wasn't perfect, but it was really, it was a lot better than me going and scouring Google and trying to figure it out or watching YouTube and hoping that I could find somebody that that was kind enough to, to put an example out on the web for me. Um, and, and so, and then the summaries, again, you're giving it something to, to summarize, to analyze rather than asking it to just, you know, take, take this database that you have, and then, you know, hope, hopefully you'll come up with what I want. Um, so it's, it's, uh, I, I laughed when I was in, in, when I was an undergrad, I had someone tell me, uh, the, the computers were the dumbest thing on campus because they only did exactly what you told them to do. And I think in a way, some of the AI is exactly that. It will only do exactly what you're asking it to do. Um, and I think the creativity, this part of, of this type of AI is that it does go beyond that and uh, as a guest I had on a, a few weeks ago, Ashley Carlisle from from Hyperdraft uh, AI, she goes, you know, it, it whatever it comes back with, it is very confident in in its answer, and so it's confident enough to fool most people into thinking that that it's true. When really, as we found out this week with with some of the things that uh, that Mark did with the Illinois Bar, is that it just makes stuff up. Uh, but it sounds very, you know, it's a, it takes that and and puts it in a way that is very, very confident and, and it can fool people. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you didn't see, uh, Mark's posts on Twitter, uh, I think they were, and uh, yeah. talking about the fact that he, what was it? He asked for some, some f funny cases about something. I don't even remember now what it was. Mark is probably in the audience here, but, uh, it, it, it answered him and gave him some cases. Turned out mm -hmm. they weren't real cases, but <laughs> it basically made. But they up were the on cases. point. They, <laughs> they were, were on point. On point. <laughs> it, really, that's all you want as a lawyer, right? It reminds I mean, what judge is ever going to check the case anyway? <laughs> reminds me of what we used to say about one of my partners. He may be wrong, but he's never uncertain. <laughs> right. right. Uh, um, I'm curious about the paid version. What do you see as the difference? Is it just speed, or is there any other notable difference? Well, the, the biggest difference is that I'm almost never locked out of it. Uh, it's never too busy. Um, but uh, the the types of uh, engines that it's running in the background are more high level. Okay. And you get you get a little bit more flexibility uh, with it. But uh, for what most people do, I think the chat GPT version works really, really well, as long as you're not asking it to, you know, kind of... Uh, create something that you would rely upon uh, sure. without having to check it. Got it. Yeah. And, and I also think that the paid version, there's a way that you can train it on some of you, you can uh, train it on some of your own information as well. So I have not done that, but I talked to with uh, some friends of mine that are at Yale and that that's one of the things that they're planning on doing is to give, giving it some things to, to, uh, to fine tune it by giving it some additional information to work with. So how long did that initial setup take you when you when you did it for your podcast? So. Well, it probably took about 10 hours, but because, I mean, that was start to scratch. Me trying to relearn Python was probably eight hours of that. <laughs> and then I spent a couple, you know, the, the last couple of hours was trying to tweak it 
to make sure I was asking it the you know the right way. I was getting the right information to feed to it. Um, and so there's uh, but now, literally uh, right before I jumped on, I've got everything set up to go and it took me about five minutes to get uh, get a show set up and it's got uh, six summaries so the it, it's about a minute per summary. Uh, so I've got a six minute podcast ready to go out. It took me about five minutes to do it. It's hmm. awesome. So from a uh, AI in law success story mm -hmm. to an AI in law disaster story this week, yeah. uh, maybe, uh, or at least a robots in law disaster story. Um, we, we have the sad tale of, uh, of do not pay. Uh, Stephanie, I know you, you guys covered that. You want to yeah. talk about that a little bit? Better yet, do not work. <laughs> do, not, do not work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do not practice. Do not yeah. practice. Um, yeah, it's pretty the whole ugly. do not thing. I mean, yeah. Um, I mean, I think the, I mean, I guess I'm assuming everyone knows, but, you know, they, they, in case you don't, you know, they proposed the whole basically chatbot in court, chatbot lawyer, robo lawyer in court. Um, everyone sort of, rolled their eyes at it, but then eventually they, he got official pushback. He got threatened to be put in jail if it happened, which isn't really a surprise because it was a stunt from the beginning. Most people thought that knew anything about how any of that works. Um, but I don't know if it was for that reason that he got on people's radar, but at the same time, people started systematically testing the legal products and just taking them down because they weren't delivering either, either what they delivered was not good or they just didn't deliver and it just was a whole twitter takedown snowball and it led to them i feel like within 48 hours 24 hours discontinuing all of their legal product like non-consumer there was very weird wording of it which i'm not sure if it covers all things but it discontinued their all their legal products and they're working on just consumer protection things like arguing down bills or things like that which is kind of where they started. And it's really interesting. There's been a lot of discussion and I don't really know where I, how I feel. I mean, I think it was hubris. I think it was a stunt that went too far and was his undoing. But I mean, somewhere in there, it all came from a good place and it was meant to do the access to justice, um, which we need serious help with. So any taking any player out of that game is really concerning, but also I feel like, I mean, you have to do it the right way, but it has raised a ton of questions on that front that I don't know the answer to. And I think people are still working out. And that was sort of just a long monologue there. <laughs> I know there's a lot in it. And I know Bob, you've written and talked about this a lot too. Yeah, I mean, I wrote about it this week just because I felt like my, you know, my concern is that suddenly all these people who have been like, you know, especially the organized some people in the organized bar or lawyers who have been kind of opposing the use of tech to advance uh, access to justice are all going to suddenly grab onto this and say, "See, we told you so." Uh, you know, the, these people are are going to screw consumers, and that's why you need lawyers. And mm -hmm. uh, and and of course, this is just a, a horribly aberrant uh, example. And there's so much, so many great examples of tech being used. To serve consumers uh, out there. I mean, uh, you know, we could just go down a long list of things. Uh, it, it, it is really so much about it is really confusing because I mean, it, it, the, the the idea that Browder ever thought he was going to get away with this whole going into court thing with somebody wearing 
AirPods and standing in front of a judge. I mean, you know, as, as I said in my piece, I've, I, I've been before a lot of judges and there's not one who's going to stand there and watch me with AirPods in my ear while I wait for uh, somebody to tell me what to say next. I mean, that ain't going to happen and they're not going to let me wear the AirPods in the first place. Um, and uh, it's it, it, this whole thing about, you know, they, they told me I might get prosecuted. Well, what did he think might happen if he did that? I mean, did he just think nothing was going to happen? I mean, I don't think he thought about it personally. Like I haven't obviously asked him, but he's not a law guy. He's a tech guy. And it's just about pushing, pushing the boundaries of the tech. But when you get in the access to justice space in particular, where people that really need it the most, you don't stop to think about if you can get away with it. You're like, look at what my look, look at the cool thing my tech can do. But like, there's a real people at stake. And I think that's where he went too far too fast. The tweet, yeah. the bragging about it too, was the complete undoing. The million dollars for SCOTUS was just right. like, I've been saying hubris. I've been saying it's, you know, Icarus flying too close to the sun. And it undid a yeah. lot of good work that could have been done. And I'm afraid it's going to have a bigger impact on other people who are doing good work. And I know he himself raised the protectionism point. He tried to spin it as, you know, this is just the legal protection, legal profession protectionism, trying to keep other people out of their club. And I'm like, no, you still have to do it right. Right. Like you can't just fall in that. That is true. And that is an issue that needs to be discussed. But this is not the poster child for that, in my opinion. Yeah. One, one of the and things let's, let's that. Be honest, right? Yeah, go ahead, Victor. But let's, let's be honest, right? I mean, we, we've all, I mean, I think most of us have interviewed Browder at some point. Most of us have talked to him. I mean, I like him, but like, you know, we know that he's, he, he, he does have some hubris in him and he does have that, that little bit of arrogance, which I think you need um, if you're going to, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to be in this space and like challenge, you know, established, uh, established protocols and whatnot, you need a little bit of that, that, that arrogance in you. But you know, obviously, I mean, I mean, this whole idea of like, oh, well, you know, um, I was told like that, that this would be unauthorized practice of law. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and, and they've been telling you this from the beginning, even from when you when your when your product first came out, when it was just limited to to uh, to tickets. I mean, people have been telling you this for years. And, you know, you so I, I do wonder if a lot of it was just this idea of, hey, look at the cool thing my tech can do. You're not going to see it happen because of these these backwards, um, these backwards people who are who are afraid of me. But look at this cool thing my tech can do, and and look at look, look at other things that that I think that I can do if I get if I put my mind to it. So, I think I think we've all kind of known that he, because it seemed like he he did this a lot, where it was like something would happen, and then some 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 scandal would happen, or some you know some bank would like have some kind of um some some kind of issue. I don't, I don't know if it was Wells Fargo or something. They'd be like, oh well, my app can help you get money back from these people, or you know something else would happen. They'd be like, oh, my app can now do this and do this and do this. And it's just like. You always kind of felt like he was kind of chasing that, chasing that that next big thing, and and I, and I kind of wonder if this was this was the one thing that kind of got a little too big for him. Yeah, I, I think he missed a a big opportunity. One, he definitely jumped the shark by mm -hmm. doing the that million dollar, uh, you know, basically a million dollar bounty. But what he should have done was created almost like a challenge, and he could have gotten like the academic world involved in this they could have set up moot court competitions or you know some type of demonstration where he could have literally like had three or four cases going on and with real judges doing it on a mock trial basis not knowing it is this information coming to me think back to and people may remember the the first time a california wine uh, beat a 
uh, a French wine in a, in a world competition. It was a blind test. And if he could have created a blind test that would have allowed, you know, the same, you know, maybe the same set of facts or similar set of facts, one of them, you know, you got three people, you got one represented by counsel, one pro se, and one represented uh, with the AI, and they're all got AirPod, or AirPods in, and no one knows who, you know, who the control group is. So there's lots of opportunity to do something like that. He just couldn't get out of his own way. And I mean, the, the hubris that he had, and it was, uh, again, the a Ashley uh, Carlisle that I had on before, she found it just flat out insulting to the legal industry, the, the way that he was approaching it, not necessarily that it couldn't work, but the way he, the stunt he was trying to pull yeah. was insulting. And I oh, think yeah. that like to go to the com the discussion that's going on in the comments right now about what would have been the right way to do this is that I think there is a right way, which is what you're saying. There's a right way to test this and get there. I don't think there currently is a right way to implement this in real life. And they wanted to get there faster than they should. There is no right way to put this tool in court right now. That's not the question. The right way is it's going to take a little bit longer. Like we want things faster, especially because this has all gone so quickly from the launch from the public launch of it that the right way is to actually sometimes wait a little bit and it's like i feel like i've moved on from the i always used to go back to the spider-man quote but i feel like i've moved on to the like jeff goldblum in jurassic park quote that is like the scientists were so preoccupied with whether they could do it that they didn't stop to think if they should i mean we want things now but the right way involves testing especially when it's legal rights at stake and I think I'm I'm more concerned about the lasting impact of the fact that his programs don't work. Um, yeah. You know, if you're going to make some kind of outlandish claim and, you know, try to say that you could put AirPods on and march into court and all that stuff, <laughs> at very least, you better have a product that's going to work to back it up. Now it looks like all of these access to justice AI programs are just a bunch of hooey and, you know, we've got to have lawyers involved forever. And gee, I, knew, I told you it would never work. It's a bunch of BS. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of a big setback you know, for the, because it doesn't work. And that's my big concern because a lot of these are not hooey and BS. There's a lot of great work being done out there. And this, they had the spotlight. They had the chance to, you know, put this on the map. And now they put it on the map. I mean, they have. People are talking about it, which is always a good thing. But they may have put it on the map in very much a wrong way. Yeah, I think there was I a, mean, another it, aspect. It, it, go ahead, Bob. No, you could finish. No, I was just <laughs> going to say, if he pulled his stunt and his product worked, yeah, you know, we might all be sitting around thinking, yeah, that's, that that was kind of a dumb thing to do, but it at least called an attention to a possibility that what might happen, you know, and it's not such a bad thing, but combined with the fact that the damn thing doesn't work is a real problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I, I was just going to say, sorry, go ahead, Victor. Uh, I was just saying, it, it's like, it's like how those blind taste tests actually ended up helping Coke when they, uh, <laughs> like, when, like when they um, came up with a new Coke thing uh, and, it, and it was a total flop and it was a failure, but then it ended up actually you know, strengthening them in the long run. It's like, so maybe this is actually going to help, 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 help do that pain in the long run. But now I thought about it. I was like, nah, probably not. <laughs> yeah. The, the other aspect of this that struck that, that had me thinking over the last couple of days is um, the, uh, how do I put this? The, the, uh, 
it, it, uh, it raised questions about legal journalism. I mean, I, I've covered Josh Broder for, for, for years. I had him on my podcast way back in 2018 when he was 21 years old. Uh, I've never tried any of his products. I never once went and tested any of his products to see if they actually do what they said they do. Uh, and, you know, he has gotten so much media attention over the years. And, and I will say, actually, when he first launched Do Not Pay, I had some lawyer used to be sending me spreadsheets saying that his claims about all the cases they've resolved and do not pay just don't match the numbers. If you go in and look at the docket filings in the UK where he originally launched it, there weren't that many cases as many as he claimed. I mean, I don't know whether that was true. I was never able to verify it, so I never wrote about it. But uh, I mean, going back to the early days, you know, uh, we were so, some of us, I'm not playing everybody, but some of us are so you know, eager to see this kind of technology evolve that we take it at face value. And even even his claim this week that he was threatened with prosecution and imprisonment. Do we really know that he's refused? I asked him. He didn't answer me. I, I saw the NPR piece that he wouldn't he didn't identify any right. prosecutors have actually done this or, or said this. I mean, we just we're just taking we take an awful lot of stuff at, at face. I mean, it's it's hard sometimes with legal tech. I, you can't just always go and test everything. And mm -hmm. I wish I had all the time in the world like like Greg does to go develop things like uh, <laughs> bots to do his pod. I mean, AI to do his podcast. But, um, you know, it, it's it's a little bit of a shortcoming around around tech journalism and, and legal tech journalism as well. I think. Yeah. Are you I don't know if you're referring. Yeah, there was that one specific tweet after the whole, you know, thread came out that was like, how have no journalists ever tested this before? Like I saw that. I didn't see that. But yeah, I didn't. Did I say that? Yeah. I didn't see that. But somebody said that, and I was like, we were just sort of like, ouch. I mean, yeah, yeah. So the like hero said, of the week is Catherine Tucson. Uh, I mean, the woman who went through and, and finally did this. Yeah. So, um, so uh, oh, uh, <laughs> what else? I'm trying to think of what else we even had on our agenda. So I'm so uh, that that was such a bizarre, such a bizarre de development that uh, really, and, you know, actually, I think one other one other before we leave that one other interesting twist, I felt like it, it did a lot to revive Twitter this week. <laughs> there, there was like an incredible activity on Twitter around this and Twitter has been kind of dormant uh, for a while now. Uh, so I don't know if this breathed new life into Twitter or or showed that uh, Twitter is, is still the place to talk about some of this stuff over some of the alternatives out there like Mastodon or Post. Um, yeah. Didn't see a lot of activity on Post around it. Um, anyway. Um, so, Victor, I know you had a couple of stories, but you also this week had the, the legal rebels, and that's probably worth a little little bit of a mention here. Uh, oh. Some tech innovators on on that list. Yes, uh, th yeah, th thank you for reminding me. I actually, I, I, I knew it came out this week, but like I know it, like it's one of those things where it's like it's dated February first, so because that's when the that's when the magazine comes out. So I'm like, oh, oh well, right. it's not February yet. So, I, so oh, it's oh. well, we can do it. But next but, week. It, but but it is online, so I was like, all right, well, it, yeah. it's out. So. It's been talked um, about. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, yeah, we we uh, the ABA Journal and the ABA Center for Innovation picked uh, its its usual class of uh, well, it's 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 class an annual class of legal rebels, um, and you know this year we had, I thought we had a pretty diverse bunch. I mean, we've been trying we've been trying to get uh, more diverse people in, in, into the um, into the mix in general, uh, and plus and so uh, so this year I thought we had a I thought we had a good a, a, a good mix of not just not just diversity in terms of like. Um, you know, national origin and and and, and, and race and things like that, but also geographic and like you know they weren't all they, they didn't all skew heavily toward one area or another because in the past you know we have maybe skewed a little too heavy toward like either criminal justice or 
uh, access to justice or things like that. So I thought it was a good mix of things this year. And so, um, you know, um, uh, you can check it out. At, uh, I posted the link. Um, I posted the link in the in the chat. You can check it out and, and look at the individual profiles. Uh, the staff the staff pitched in and 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 um, you know uh, wrote, wrote the profiles of the people and whatnot. And so, um, you know, check it out uh, when you can um, and and let me know what you think. Yeah, I thought it was a good list. I, I already tweeted that I thought it was. It's like every every time I see the Legal Rebels class comes out, I'm always wondering how those people weren't already on the list uh, from, yeah. from some prior year. Because uh, I, I mean, we some, we do we do yeah. end up we we do end up going going through that a lot. Like in our meetings, sort of like, well, how come we haven't picked this person yet? How can we? Have, and so part of it was, um, you know, I mean, obviously we're kind of limited to like eight people a year. So obviously people end up falling. I mean, it's not like it's not like you know when Fast Case does like the fifty. Um, or, you know, when, um, um, or even I think the, um, uh, um, the, the women in legal tech one, they, 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 yeah. they end up having a longer list than we do. So, so we're kind of limited because of the space of the magazine and then also, um, you know, um, you know, like staffing and whatnot. And so we end up, we end up, we end up having to kind of limit it every year. And then, and then, and then there are always people that kind of like, you know, there were, there were, there were some people who were like, okay, well, we did well. We, well, we kind of focused on the issue last year. Do we want to focus the same person, or, or not, not the same person, but like we want to focus someone who 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 kind of, who kind of looked at the same issue this time as well, and like do it two years in a row, or you know, can we kind of can we kind of hold off on it until until like a, like for another year? And then also, I think the last uh, like a few years ago, we tried to do a couple themed um, a, a couple themed um, issues where it was like we like one was like all but like court officials who were innovating during COVID. Uh, some of it was like you know teams of people who work together. And so then that that, then that that pushed some people to the side because they were like, okay, well, because they didn't fit into one of those constructs. So sometimes it, 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 it just comes down to stuff like that, you know? And then sometimes, yeah, we just miss things. And yes, Joshua Browder was. I don't, know if that's, I don't know if that's a little zing or. <laughs> no, I, 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 wrote, I wrote that one. I, I wrote that one. That, that, was, that, that was the first time I, that was the first time I ever spoke to him actually. And I think, I think that was, I think that was right after he launched it. So that was that, that was when he was still in school. I think it was Stanford at the time. I think, um, yeah. So that was that was when he was yeah, still in school. Yeah, yeah. I I, I mean I, I think this is a part of the reason this is the story is kind of one of the things that makes this story disturbing is we have probably all talked to Joshua at this point at some point or another and and I I honestly you know I really think he is sincere in his mission yeah. to use tech to. Uh, help consumers resolve common legal or other kinds of problems. Uh, and uh, I, I, you just got to wonder what, what really happened here. Uh, uh, but um, so I, I, he was certainly a legal rebel in, in 2017. And uh, well, and I, I think uh, Colleen earlier in the comments may have, may have spotted it and said, you know, this may be the Elizabeth Holmes of legal <laughs> tech in that it's a great idea. Is just that you know everything. There was so much going on in the in the background to make it look like it was working. That you know it it just and, and I think they probably thought or you know both Elizabeth Holmes and Joshua probably thought well this is something that that we can you know given enough time and money uh, and expertise we'll make this work. It's just now we just got to prop it up on the back end in order to make it work. Yeah, and, I talked about journalists not 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 doing their due diligence here. What about the investors in this company? I mean, these are some <laughs> major major VCs invested in this company, and did they not do their due diligence into this stuff? I I don't just don't understand that. Well, but let but let's be honest, right? And, and I'll play devil's advocate for a minute. I mean, you know, 
the concept is solid, right? I mean, because this idea of like using because because so much of litigation, regardless of what I mean, obviously not not the really complex litigation, but like you know, like your small claims courts or your even your bankruptcy court, a lot of it is form driven. A lot of it is you know wrote cut and paste and like you know put your name here and put your name there and to enter the enter the amount in dispute and blah 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 and and, and then just file, make sure you file it on time. I mean, a lot of it is just that wrote paperwork that makes sure that you you file this. You file mm-hmm. this and it's signed here and it says this and, and and it makes you make sure you get it there at, at the right time. And like, I mean, I know there are other programs that, 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 you know, that's not a new concept, but like the idea that of kind of taking litigation and breaking it down into like, okay, well, you know, other than like the stuff when you're in court and you're making arguments and you're picking juries and you're doing closings, that kind of stuff. A lot of the stuff that leads into it is stuff that can be done by, 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 by AI or by, or by, or by a machine or something like that. So, sure. you know, I mean, that concept I think is sound. But whether or not you know, there's, there's, you know, I mean, and and, and maybe maybe he's not the best example of, of of this, but I mean, the idea that 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 you can kind of break it down like that, I thought I thought that was a that was a pretty um pretty interesting 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 thing that that, that he did. Sure, and there's and other I mean, companies out there doing that. Look at like Solo Suit, which is doing that for debt collection cases, where they're simply all they do is help you prepare the response to the lawsuit because they found that a lot of people just never even responded to these lawsuits. They're not going into court and defending you or anything else. They're just getting you past that hurdle of, of filing a response. And I mean, I remember when it first came out, I mean, I just, I downloaded the app because I was like, this sounds cool. And also, I mean, just like, I assume we all are involved in legal tech because we want tech to be able to help legal and we wanted to do these things. So, I mean, I guess maybe that maybe there should be a little bit more skepticism or whatever, but I'm, I guess for something as big as that, I'm assuming I'm not the last line of defense that it works, you know, but because um, yeah. I don't want I don't want there to be an Elizabeth Holmes of legal tech. Yeah, well, it would make a great movie, but uh, yeah, <laughs> probably not. We'd watch it. Um, all right. So uh, I'm going to go to my story, which probably some of us also covered this week, but uh, the uh, if I can only find it here, uh, the fact that uh, Axiom uh, opened a law firm this week in uh, in uh, Arizona. Uh, uh, this is uh, you know uh, the Axiom is uh, one of the uh, longer established alternative legal service providers, and uh, as I said in my story, now this week it stepped into the world of licensed legal services providers. Uh, opening a law practice. It's not even the first one to do it in in uh, in Arizona, but it, it's a, it's a significant move given that it's it's it is a significant AOSP, uh, and it you know it, it potentially uh, uh, will will help you know serve as a proving ground for this whole idea of uh, ABS licenses in Arizona and 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 what what they can deliver or not deliver. Uh, I think it's starting out kind of modestly in the sense that it's just two lawyers uh, and uh, two lawyers who are both coming from an established firm with a kind of a commercial business law practice. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, they're they're talking about trying to disrupt even even that a little bit, at least in terms of the, their, their ability to offer lower fees and flat fees uh, and more more package types of legal services. Um, so I think that's really going to be an interesting development to follow over the next couple of years to see what they actually do. Um, 
you know, it's also it is kind of interesting to me that that so much of the original talk about loosening the licensing restrictions around the practice of law were focused on access to justice. Uh, and and yet what we've seen in Arizona are a lot of these uh, entities that are getting licensed as AS, uh, uh, ABSs. Uh, they're not focused on serving low-income people at all. This, this ain't about serving low-income people in Arizona. This is about serving uh, mid-sized to larger businesses that in most cases don't have their own in-house legal department or something like that. Um, you know, that study that came out, uh, there was a study that came out, uh, Lucy Ricca and uh, uh, the other guy at Stanford, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on his name, uh, looked at the sort of the data that came out of Arizona and Utah so far and found that, that Utah's model uh, was sort of much more amenable to the creation of programs uh, that are going to serve low income people. Um, uh, in part because it kind of allows different classes of, of legal services providers, not just not just lawyers working for corporations, but paralegals and whatever uh, delivering legal services directly. So um, anyway, I, th it's, I think it's a it's an interesting and, and notable move in, in the world of legal innovation, and uh, the proof will be in the pudding on it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it raises a lot of the same issues we were actually just talking about with do not pay, where. I mean, it has real allowing these structures has a real potential to increase access to justice. Um, but again, we need to sort of see how it plays out. And I think I actually think the protectionism argument is a stronger one here. Like people that are against this, it's, I feel like it's much more. Um, I mean, I think there is a stronger argument that people who are against this is purely protectionism of the industry. Is what I'm trying to say. Um, so I'm very curious to see how it works out and if it's successful where it leads. Yeah, I mean, Axiom, for all intents and purposes, is you know it's already a law firm. I mean, it's it's right. doing legal work, uh, you know, on an outsourced basis, uh, and uh, this this really just kind of removes some of that uh, the 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 sham of, of of not a sham exactly, but <laughs> I, you know, it, it it just acknowledges what's really already happening in some ways. Yeah, I mean, we've worked in law firms, so we know how much of it is not being done by lawyers anyway. So yeah, right. right. Yeah. And I will have to say, I mean, we, we do focus on low-income people when we talk about access to justice, and rightly so. But uh, by the same token, there's there's a, a great number of small businesses, solo-owned businesses and entrepreneurs out there who, who frankly, due to their where they are in their business careers and lives, can't afford a lawyer. And if there are ways to reach that untapped market... Um, which needs to be served because you know they can easily be taken advantage of by larger businesses that are more well-heeled and have assets and resources and stifle creativity and innovation on that end. So it's not unreasonable for Axiom to be looking toward that market and it's not necessarily a bad thing. Although yes, we do need to be focused more on low-income people who are even, even more disadvantaged, but um, in any event. But, yeah. but are they focusing yeah. on small, like, like like the small mom and pop stores? Are they focusing on just smaller businesses that are like not Walmart, but like you know maybe like like a, like a slightly smaller like a slightly smaller scale that that um, you know maybe doesn't have the same kind of in house resources. I don't know if it's like, smaller, and I don't think it's that small. I think they're looking more yeah. mid and large. They're yeah. they're looking to take a bite out of out. Of, they're they're competing with you know big bigger law firms. Yeah. 
in, in the application that they filed in Arizona, they said they specified, you know, mid-sized companies that do not have in-house legal departments. But in the, I had their their general, their chief legal officer on my podcast this week, and she described it as even higher than that, but not lower. I mean, going up even into the enterprise level and almost almost as an adjunct. That, that that Axiom could be an adjunct to this firm rather than this firm being an adjunct to Axiom, but that this firm could be doing some of the core legal work and could be then using Axiom as a backup support for other more sophisticated work or other other more labor intensive work. But if it's if it's successful, even for those larger, I mean, even if they don't necessarily fully pursue the access to justice point, if they make the model successful, I think that has the potential to open up for other businesses under this model to actually serve those smaller and smaller mm -hmm. companies or those smaller pop shops or the um, people that don't have money for lawyers. So it's just, I think it's a, it's a grand experiment that is more thought out than some of the other grand experiments we've discussed today. <laughs> right. Yeah. And they have the resources to do that, to think it out and to execute on it and, and to uh, develop it. I think that's part of the reason it's so interesting. So uh steve law firm hubris <laughs> something well, we've never couple, talked about on this show a couple of articles and uh, newsworthy events and announcements that came out that kind of caught my eye that sort of are continuing examples of law firms that try to solve today's kinds of problems and concerns particularly with younger lawyers and associates by using you know, thinking that they've used for the past 50 years. Uh, one was the announcement by Brian Cave, which is a, you know, a fairly innovative law firm that um, if you if you bill a certain number of hours over the year, they will allow you to take a vacation. They didn't they didn't say it that way, but that seemed to be sort of the the underlying uh, uh, message that you have to reach a certain number of hours and then. Yes, you can you can record your time spent on your vacation, but but let's face it, no no matter how you do shake that out, that's unbilled time, uncollectible time. When it comes to the end of the day, you know whether that's going to count very much towards your advancement. Uh, at least with the law firms I was with, it probably would not have. Um, so it just struck me as you know sort of sort of funny that um, that a law firm is going to try to solve the uh, the work-life balance question and encourage associates to take more vacation by telling them to just, just bill more hours than, than you can have a vacation. And of course, you know, the catch 22 is if you bill more hours, how are you gonna have time to take a vacation anyway and still make the quota? So I, I thought that was a sort of an interesting uh, way to use the billable hour matrix to, to try to uh, uh, dressed up as a as a guise to uh, help you have a better work-life balance. And, and not to mention that the fact that it continues to emphasize billable hours as opposed to uh, productivity and uh, creativity and all those sorts of things. And then the other thing was the announcement, and I think Victor picked up on it too, the announcement by Sidley that um, the time you spend in the office is going to be a factor in determining whether you you get a bonus or not. And, you know, it's interesting because I think one of the things that the pandemic showed is you can be just as productive and produce just as quality of work working remotely as you can in the office, but nevertheless, 
you know, for reasons of uh, control or what have you, we're going to demand that you you be in the office um, a certain number of days a week. And, and it was interesting because the announcement was coupled with, we're going to ask all lawyers, quote, all lawyers, unquote, to be in the office. And my guess is that you know, if you if you're a lawyer at Sidley and you have a ten million dollar book of business, I don't think too too many people are going to be concerned whether you're servicing that business from your beach house or from from the office itself. But yeah, it just struck me that you know, and trying to 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 measure commitment uh, by lawyers and engagement by lawyers, particularly associates, in this sort of new new world that we're living in. The, the, Law firms are kind of reverting back to get your, you know, what in the office because that's one way we can make sure that that you are committed and engaged uh, with the law firm. And it just seems to me like a, a you know, a poor, poor answer to to where we are these days. So I thought both of those things were just, you know, <clears throat> here we are. We've been through this pandemic. We've shown what we can do with technology and remote, and we've shown what people sort of need to have a a fulfilling life and that we're going to solve the problem the way we always have work harder, be quiet, you know, shut up and don't complain. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm glad I was muted. Cause I just like sighed through your entire talk there and shook my head a lot. I mean, maybe I'm still too close. <laughs> I mean, it's been over a decade, but I feel still too close to big law that I'm like, sure. Like, no, they're not going to apply these rules to all lawyers. They didn't apply back. I mean, flat out well, when they required FaceTime, you know, and nobody was allowed to work remotely, that never worked, applied to the partners then. Like, it's well, just, know, they're finding the new excuses to put in the rules that were always in place. And if anybody was going to undo what we gained through the pandemic in terms of remote work, it was going to be big, big law. And I'll stop now because I'm jaded about this subject. And, well, and, <laughs> and here's the other thing, you know, I mean, Nobody is, I would hazard to guess that nobody is going to become a partner at Sidley unless they have been eligible for bonuses as an associate, right? I mean, that stands to reason. And so who does that unfairly penalize? And I mean, let's face it, it unfairly penalizes women who are more often than not primary child care providers in a family and who need that flexibility to, that remote work provides. And so we're now continuing to perpetuate this this gap uh, in in partnership ranks because uh, golly you know so and so wasn't wasn't didn't wasn't here as much as she was supposed to be well she had you know two two children she was trying to take care of and her husband was doing something else and well and uh, it's too bad she didn't make her attendance quota you know it's just come on guys I mean aren't we sort of beyond that by now I guess not so we were <laughs> and then we're now. back. <laughs> yes. well, we Victor, you guys had a story on this related to this too this week. Yeah, and I think we we we, we, just, we just picked up the um, the the other stories. The same, but I mean, the same. But one, I, mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, we were talking, we were talking, we, we've been talking this on the show, right? Like this idea of like, okay, well, you have all these law firms, like two years ago, whatever. Like we were like, oh yeah, you know, these firms, they have these really great, uh, these really great policies. They're all saying the right things. They're all saying, oh well, you know, we 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 realize that you know, happy work, uh, you know, a happy workforce is important, and if people can be more productive. You know, at home, then why not just let them? Why not just let them be at home? And and then I think we're all we're all just kind of wondering is like was that is that is that real or is that is that is that what they're saying now? And then when things start to kind of go back to normal, they're going to be like, okay, well, things are back to normal now. So you guys, you guys, you guys can come back to the office. And if you don't, then 
we're going to do this. And so, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I don't think, I don't think we can be too surprised by it. Cause I mean, I think, you know, it's kind of a natural, it's kind of a natural inclination to be like, okay, well, we just want things to go back to the way they were because it worked for us back then. And, you know, now the pandemic's pretty much, I mean, it's not over, but I mean, people are living with it now. And so it's kind of like, well, let's just go back to what worked, worked for us for decades. And, you know, especially, especially in the law firm world, it's very much like a, you know, see, see, you know, you, you have to make sure you're seen at the office. You have to put in the FaceTime. You got to put in, you know, the time with the time with the partners. You got to put in the time with your mentors, the time with the senior associates, whatever. And and if you don't, and and if you're not seen there, it's almost like you don't exist. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we can be too surprised by this, but you know, it, it's still it's still kind of funny to kind of juxtapose that with like what they were saying like two years ago with like the oh, you know, uh, it's a new world and blah blah blah, and what all these tools that we have at our disposal and everything. So. Well, yeah, and, and, and you and know, I the, think once oh, good, go ahead, Steve. The worst of all worlds that that we could end up with is is law firms that profess to still believe what they said two years ago, but when it comes time for an associate advancement or partnership decisions, they revert back to the old analysis that they used three years ago. Which you know, everybody's expectations might be different, and now you know it's the sort of the unwritten rules that float around a lot of partnership and associate advancement decision making. Sorry, Greg, I didn't mean to no, Sorry. Um, I was going to say, well, one of the things that's kind of hovering in law, law firms, I think, have predicted six of the last two recessions. And so everyone is predicting doom and gloom for the rest of the year. You're seeing layoffs already. Um, and so uh, and you're going to see more. I'm already hearing of, of more firms come come February that are going to be laying off some more people, and it's everyone's puckering up. And and when you when you do that, you go back to what you know, and what the what everyone knows is, you know, well, we were successful when we were all together, and therefore we're going to have to do that. And I think, and I posted an article on that. In that, uh, um, it talked about high performance culture so yeah you can make you know you can be very productive but there's also high commitment culture which means that you can be committed but connected as well and it doesn't mean that you have to be in the office but it means that you need to have a structure that admits that okay some people are going to be doing this and some people are going to be doing this we've got to figure out how it is that we run this firm to or manage this firm to run in an environment where you are going to have this hybrid remote environment. It's just it, you know, trying to get everyone back in the office is like trying to, you know, shove the toothpaste back into uh to the tube. That's it's gone. Um, and to to believe this and then uh, you know, again, and, and I think we saw the, you know, we had 2.3% GDP growth. Uh, yesterday that was announced. So, you know, this big boogeyman of a recession that's supposed to already be on us isn't on us yet. And so I, I'm just, you know, I think, again, surprisingly, law firms are overreacting to how they think they need to manage their people. Yeah. And it's, you know, uh, the, the notion of having somebody be, be in the office just to have them be in the office is just, you know, so, so wrong. I mean, it, I don't think most associates and most even partners for that matter don't mind being in the office when there's a need to be there. And so if you if you let 
partners running the teams and practice groups running the teams that make decisions about when somebody should be in the office or when they shouldn't be. It just seems to me like that's a whole lot better. And better this is just doing things than it is just to say, all right, everybody come back down here, whether you need to be here or not, which I mean, you know, I practice law for 35 years. Most of the time I was in the office, I came, went to work, I got my cup of coffee, I went to my office, I closed the door and I worked. And this just feels like a more egregious extension of the conversation we've had in the past about how, sure, there are benefits to hybrid going back in. There's training benefits, mentorship benefits, from, especially for younger, more junior attorneys. But that's also, once you get to dictating the exact days they have to be there, and then now even further tying their pay and their success or their bonuses or any of that to it, that's not about the benefits of in-person anymore. That's purely a power play in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Well, now, well, now that uh, we've all been calling uh, Joshua Browder to, tail for, uh, to task for accountability, now uh, Joshua Lennon's calling Greg, Greg for accountability here. He wants to know where you got that data for that claim about law firms predicting recessions. So, see, now, <laughs> now we're all gonna have to have facts to back up what we say. Now we've that's ruined true. it for everybody. I'm, that, that's why I'm a blogger. I don't, I don't need facts. I, I, I just need to print stuff. It, it's all true as long as you run it through ChatGPT. Yeah, and you're well, confident. Well, I'm very confident facts, in it. Right? Well, it's alternative facts, right? I mean, it's like, yeah, like, well, you know, you might not agree with it, but there, these are my facts. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right. Anything else good of the order? Anything anybody wants to raise or highlight or talk about? Then if not, we will... Uh, wrap up for today and be back next week. Thanks to everybody for attending. Greg, thanks for uh, joining. And uh, I've uh, got to go subscribe to your new daily uh, podcast right now. And, uh, and uh, thanks to everybody in the audience for listening. See you next week. Have a good weekend. Bye, everyone.